Ecclesia is a new church trying to live out the way of Jesus in Princeton, New Jersey. We pray this teaching invites you to love Jesus and people more deeply and to embrace the full life that Jesus offers each one of us. Grace and peace to you. Our scripture this morning is Matthew 28, 18 through 19. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, we've been in a series walking through how do we begin to intentionally submit ourselves to the process of growing in our love for God and growing in our understanding of God's love for us. Um, and Jesus uses this, this agricultural imagery, and I think it's so appropriate, uh, because if you've ever tried to grow anything, you understand that it takes time, it takes expertise, it takes patience. And so, so often what happens in church circles is that we're said, okay, like you're, you're a part of this thing now called the church, go read your Bible and pray and figure it out. And what, what we see is that Jesus is inviting us to a much more intentional process of being formed in his love for us. And so what we've been doing is just kind of walking through some of the circles of that. We started with this contemplative sense. And what, what that is is our individual lives before God. And, and how God is calling us to know him as the God of the universe and to know ourselves as his daughters and his sons. But that's just the first layer because we can't follow Jesus in isolation. None of us live in a vacuum. And so God sets us in community. He plants us around other people. Other people with all of their beauty, all of their flaws, all of their little annoying things that might bother you. This is the exact soil that Jesus plants us in to grow in our love for him. And then we sort of expand out from there. So you sort of have your smaller group community. Then you have this congregation, this group that we are amassing right now. This, this church uh, that is gathered here is a wider representation of the body of Christ. And we are a church that is being uh, sort of planted and, and, and shaped and sculpted to be a people that reflect God's heart in a certain way, in this certain place. And so the beauty of this for us here is this is a brand new church. This is our 12th gathering. And so what God is doing in our midst is he's shaping us for the mission and the vision that he has for us. And you guys are all a part of that. It's really incredible. Um, did everybody receive a card when you came in, an index card? Did everybody have one of those? Just give me like a no if you didn't. All right, cool, cool, cool. If you didn't get one, uh, Renee has some more of the cards and she'll get you one. Cool, all right. Those will become a little bit more evident here in just a moment. Uh, but as we are gathered here this morning, we are being shaped into who God wants us to be. And so now we're going to focus on the last layer of, of what God is doing in our midst. Because the beautiful thing about a church, the really incredible thing is we don't just exist for ourselves. We don't just exist for the people that are here. We exist to live on behalf of the wider world around us. We live on behalf of our neighbors. We live on behalf of our city. Jesus is calling us out. He's calling us uh, to go where he goes. One of the first things that Jesus says to his disciples, and we see this in Matthew chapter 4, is Jesus says to, to Peter and to Andrew, he says, Come and follow me, and I will make you fish for people. 
And there are two beautiful implicit statements going on with this invitation. First, to follow someone, as Jesus invites these two disciples to come follow him, is to be with them. Jesus' first call to each one of us is to be with him. And that is what he is calling us towards. And the second call is like it. He's saying, come follow me. Come go to the places that I go. You see, Peter had no idea when Jesus was calling him the kinds of places that this Jesus of Nazareth, this unusual rabbi, was going to lead him. He had no idea the things that he would see. He had no idea that he would walk on water, that he would see heaven opened and Jesus glorified. But there was something about this invitation that Jesus extends to his disciples. Come and follow me. They literally drop what they're doing. They drop everything and they go to follow him. And the thing that we are embracing here this morning is that Jesus has extended that same invitation to every single person. He invites and welcomes all to come and to follow him. And the first step of that following is to be with Jesus. And we talked a lot about that in our first uh, couple weeks of this series. We talked about what it means to cultivate a life that is with Jesus. But the second part of that is the, is the part we want to focus on today. Where is Jesus going? When we follow Jesus, what kind of places do we end up in? Jesus' call is to be with him and to follow him to the places that he goes. His call is to apprenticeship. It's a word we've used to describe what our lives look like before God. An apprentice is somebody who works alongside the master. An apprentice is somebody who watches what the master does, is with the master, and then imitates the master. And this is Jesus' call for us. And this is kind of unusual for us, because if, you, if you're like me, I spent time in uh, the public school system, and for me, maybe this is different than your experience, um, if you look at the bottom ranking of all the public school systems in the United States, you'll see states like Mississippi, Louisiana, Tennessee. And, uh, you know, I just so happen to go to school in places like Mississippi, Louisiana, Tennessee. And so I have been formed by the worst school systems in America. And most of our formation, our education, is not done by doing, but is by people downloading concepts and then giving us a test, right? Any of you bad test takers in here? Yeah, yeah, good, good, good. Any of you good test takers in here? Oh, nice, nice. Uh, those were two PhDs who raised their hands, so do the math, if you will. Um, apprenticeship to Jesus is not Jesus saying, okay, once you get it all figured out, then you can go out into the world once you have all the information, because this is where Christians get so far off track, right? We wait till we have it all figured out. We think, what if somebody asked me a question I don't know the answer to? Here's the thing. Most people aren't gonna ask you a lot of questions. They're gonna be much more interested in the way that you listen to them. Most of our, uh, most of our approaching people with the beauty and the gospel of Jesus is gonna be about how are we showing up in their lives? And much less about do you have all the best apologetics memorized? Jesus is calling us to apprenticeship, to be with him, and to, to imitate him. Because apprenticeship to Jesus is this sort of ongoing application process. It's, it's about trying things. It's about seeing what he does and then trying to do it ourselves. Because we cannot grasp fully Jesus' heart, and our hearts cannot be fully grasped by his until we go to the places that he goes, and we do the things that he does in those spaces. In the life and the ministry of Jesus, we see this interchange. 
We see this time spent with the disciples. He spends time alone with his friends. And then we see them moving out into the wider world. We see Jesus teaching in public. We see him doing public ministry, healing people in the public square. And so today we want to look at how does our life together as a congregation, how does our life together as a community, how does our life together as individuals move out into the wider world? Because in about 30 minutes or so, all of us are going to step outside of those doors. And that is where we spend the most of our time. So isn't it at least possible that Jesus, if, if his life is eternal, if he has so much for us that it fills up every part of who we are called to be, isn't it at least possible that Jesus' call for us to be apprentices to him has something to do with that part of our lives? Isn't it at least possible that this is not the only sacred space that we will encounter this week? That as we go throughout our lives in our homes and in our workplaces, it, as we encounter our neighbors, that God is calling us to be apprentices in that space. And that's what we want to focus on here today. Gabrielle read for us the Great Commission, as it's become known. Jesus says to his disciples upon his resurrection in Matthew 28, verse 19, he says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Friends, we talked about last week how, how God's movement is always to be with us, that God is wanting to establish his presence with us. And Jesus says, wherever I send you, I will be with you. And he says to them, he says, I have been given all authority. I am the one who is seated at the right hand of God Almighty. I am the sovereign king of all the earth. It's only then as he has established that fact that he tells us to go. And he says, go therefore. Go make the reality of my kingdom known in every corner of your life. Everything that God ever asks us to do rests on a promise, on a covenant, not a condition. Jesus tells his disciples in this passage that we've been sort of dancing around throughout this series in John 15. Jesus says to his disciples, I am the vine, you are the branches, those who abide in me bearing much, or bear much fruit. Now, being connected to Jesus means that our lives produce fruit for the world. Jesus says, abide in me. That's the only thing that you have to, to, to begin to do, to begin to bear fruit for the world. It's not based on your own expertise, not on your education, not on your strategies, not on your charisma, not on your Enneagram number or your Myers-Briggs, if you're into that sort of thing. Jesus is saying to you, if you, bear, if you abide in me, your life will produce fruit on behalf of the world. He's saying, rely upon me. And when we cultivate our lives with Jesus, contemplatively in community and as a congregation, we become the presence of Christ to the world. His presence, not only do we abide in him, but he begins to abide in us. And everywhere we go, Jesus is there with us, ministering his power and his mercy. He takes up residence in our lives and we walk the world as the pardon of God. These disciples who were with Jesus in John 15 had spent the better part of three years just being with Jesus. 
They had been alongside him as he healed people riddled with socially isolating and painful diseases. They had been alongside him as he fed thousands upon thousands. They had listened as he told stories about the beauty and the challenge of the kingdom of God. And even more, and I think this is the part we miss so easily, is they had each had their own interactions with Jesus. Like, can you imagine what it would be like to have a conversation with somebody who was completely present to you? Can you imagine what it would be like to have a conversation with somebody who, who had no like, ambition of their own? They, they simply lived their life to serve you, to encourage you, to build you up. I mean, how many of us, like when we're in conversations with people, we're thinking of the next thing we're going to say. Like, thank God you stopped talking, now I can speak. But this is not Jesus. Jesus is not in a hurry. Jesus is looking into our lives and seeing who we were made to be. And each of these disciples that are present here, each of these people that were challenged with carrying on the message of Jesus had these kinds of interactions with Jesus where he encouraged them, where he saw things in them that they would never see in themselves. I think we miss that so often. We miss this side of Jesus that was just simply a friend, simply related to these disciples. And each of them here that Jesus is speaking to, as he says, I'm the vine, you are the branches, each one of these, these men, and, and, and by extension, the women that followed them closely, each one had this kind of interactions with Jesus. And I don't know about you, but left to my own defaults, I don't always see the best in other people. Have you ever been walking through the mall, kind of just looking around and saying, whoa, wish that person could get control of their kids? They're like, oh, you chose that outfit today, huh? Interesting. Now, maybe you guys are better than me. Uh, you know, I'm sure you are, but my default is to judge people because I don't know why I had this, this indelible need to, to, to start p putting my, uh, myself in a place of superiority over other people. Now, if you're not like this and you're not broken like me, I'm so grateful you're here. Um, I, I'll, after service, I'll be like, How, what's it like? What's it like to be so just put together and awesome? But for me, my defaults my defaults are towards looking at others and trying to objectify, trying to make them into something that is less than me. And we do this, right? We see this throughout the Gospels. We see people looking at sinners and others and saying, thank God that I'm not like that person. But this is not who Jesus is. Jesus is inviting us to see ourselves, to see others for who they are. And when we spend time with Jesus we start to see ourselves and our neighbors and our city through the eyes of Jesus. That same love that he extends towards us, we start to extend towards others. Our hearts start to beat for the things that he cares about. And we are invited to abide in Jesus as a church, not so we'll sit in some isolated place of heavenly bliss, a church that keeps all the bad things outside, all the, by the extension, all the bad people outside. Now Jesus says we are invited to abide in Jesus so that we will go. In the power of his presence, in the power of who he is to the world. Because the entire world was made to recognize that God is love. That he is unfailing, self-giving, sacrificial love. And that on the cross, Jesus declares to every single person that they have unsurpassing worth. This is our call. And as we abide in Jesus, we actually start to see the world that way. 
And so today, I just want to look at a couple of different angles of what it means for us to go and bear fruit. Jesus in John 15, verse 16 says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you so that you might go, bear, go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. And so today, I just want to ask the question, what is the fruit that will last in our world? What is Jesus calling us to go and to, uh, to, by abiding in him, to produce alongside of him? And so I just have uh, five quick things I just want you to see. And, and my hope is, my hope is both to challenge you and also to expand your horizons a little bit as we're gathered here this morning. So the first fruit that will last is people coming to know Jesus, people coming to know his heart. Jesus in John 17, verse three, says that this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus says to us that eternal life, life everlasting, life without fail, life without condition is found in knowing God. But I think the question that we often surpass, we often just move past in that equation, is how do people come to know God? Now, if we had the chance, we could go around this room and talk to people who have been apprentices to Jesus for a while and say, hey, how did you get your start in this thing? Like, did you just get wheeled into church one day and then you just kept coming? Or what was the thing that drew you in? What, what was the, the start of your story with Jesus? For some people, you would hear these incredible, like life-altering, like people at the end of their rope, and Jesus met them there. They were strung out on uh, addictive substances, or they were broken by their own sins. And for some people, you would see like this monumental change in just a moment. Like they would say, I, I had no other way. I just reached out and said, God, please help me. And you would see this. And for others of us, and this is much more similar to my story, It was just a process. It was a long process of God being faithful to me, of surrounding me with people who loved me, who who were willing to be patient with me, who were willing to walk alongside of me. And so there is no magic moment that happens to each person that comes to follow Jesus. The stories are so beautifully unique. And what we find is that sin, our brokenness, seems to be, it has this homogenous character to it. It tends to work out the same. Brokenness tends to sort of look the same. But, but the way that God calls us to himself kind of has this infinite beauty and it works out in all these infinite ways. But at one of our calls as Christians, as we read directly in Jesus' great commission in Matthew 28, and as we see here in John, is that in some way our lives would tell people about Jesus. And now in Christian circles, this has this fancy name, evangelism. Now, if you haven't been in church for very long, evangelism is one of those things that every Christian knows they should be doing, but nobody does it because they're terrified, right? Because evangelism, what that eventually is going to call you to do is to talk to somebody who's not a Christian, not a part of the club, and tell, say, hey, um, do, you, do you know about Jesus? And people are riddled with fear at the prospect of of talking about Jesus to people that may not have a history with that kind of language. And so it's one of those things that everybody's like, yeah, I should be doing that, but I'm not really sure where to start. 
And I think this is where well-meaning Christ followers get derailed because first of all, we think that it's all on us. Like you think you have to like come up with this like like amazing moment to be able to share who Jesus is with them. But here's the thing. I just want to outline a couple scriptures for you. Second Peter 3 verse 9 tells us that God wills that no one should perish. He wants that everybody would come to know him. Jesus tells us in John 12 verse 32 that when he is lifted up, he will draw all people to himself. Our failure to evangelize people, and that word is just so fraught with all kinds of connotations. Our failure to evangelize people is often a failure to see God's heart. God's heart is unambiguous. It is for people to know him. And Jesus says here in John 15, if you remain in me, you will bear fruit. So our call in this whole equation is to be uh, people who remain and abide in Jesus. God's heart is for the world. God's heart is that people would see that he is for them. But I think we get off course when we think it's our job to make this happen. We have no idea where to start and we never do. And here's the other thing about Christians so often is it's really easy to only surround yourself with other Christians. So how many of you, like you know people that aren't Christ followers? We live in New Jersey. You probably know some people. And here's, here's where I think Jesus is sort of challenging us. And here's where I want to challenge you this morning. When was the last time that you focused on this as a movement in your life? As, as God wants all people to come to know him. This is God's heart. God's heart is for your neighbors, those people that you see every day. That is God's heart. And when was the last time that you focused on that and said, God, like whatever, whatever it means for me, would you make me a person who talks about your life in mine, who talks about what you've done for me. Because I think what we do as Christians, the failure to evangelize, is really just a failure to try. You know, all the best things in the world, all the really beautiful things, things like playing music or like our Women's World Cup team is gonna show up later and like be amazing at soccer, they don't just show up and like all of a sudden they're like, oh wait, I have these amazing soccer skills and I can kick the ball really far. They've been doing that every day of their life, their entire existence, right? And so for us, like if, if showing people the beauty of God is one of the things that Jesus says, this will last on into eternity. This is eternal life that they would come to know God. It's probably gonna take some practice. It's probably gonna take some some failure. You're probably going to have to say, I'm sorry, a couple times. You're probably going to be like, okay, this is going to be awkward, but I, I feel like I should say this. But what if we tried, perhaps? What if we were so formed by God's heart for others that we said, you know what, as awkward as this is for me, I'm at least going to move towards this person. And guys, what you see is that evangelism, as we talked about, is not really like having all the right answers. So often evangelism is being present in people's lives. And so the question is, how are you showing up? How are you showing up for your neighbors? How are you showing up for people that don't know Jesus? How are you listening to them? What are their stories? What, what is hope to them? What do they want to see happen in the world? Because so often the gospel is so big and so beautiful that Jesus is saying to whatever their hope is, amen. 
Like so often people in our world are sort of formed by this kind of infant Christian idea that they just need to hear somebody say that, yeah, that's God's heart too. God cares about orphan. God cares about justice. God cares about these things because this is who God is. That, that thing that is, that is breaking inside of you for the world was put in you by Jesus who loves the world. And so what if we tried? And so if you have that index card, I just want you to write down a couple of first names. Just a couple of people. You're like, you know what? I could show up for this person. And even if you're, uh, if you're here today and you're not a Jesus follower and you're saying to yourself, I don't even believe this. I'm not going to try to tell somebody else to believe it. If that's you, just write down a couple of people that you're like, I could be nice to this person. This person seems like they need a friend. So take a couple moments. Write down two or three names. Jesus says, if we abide in him, we will bear fruit. And Jesus, for, for Jesus, the fruit is people coming to know him. That is the first and foremost. And that is the most beautiful uh, thing that we could ever encounter in our lives. Okay, there are four more, but that's the longest one by a long shot, okay? So four more fruit that will last. I feel like you guys can multitask, so I'm going to keep going. The second fruit that will last is having God's heart for the least in our world. Jesus says, this is my command that you love one another in John 15. In Matthew 25, he says, whatever you have done for the least of these, you have done for me. Friends, this is one of the most challenging passages in the scriptures and also one of the most beautiful. Jesus is the God of the universe. He is the one who brought all of this into being. And as he comes to earth, he doesn't identify his life with the popular, with the shiny, with the royal, with the kingdoms and and the rich and the famous. He comes as a peasant. He comes as somebody who is poor and lowly. He, He lives his life as a refugee. Jesus comes and identifies his life with those who are considered the least in our world. This is our God friends, who makes his dwelling with the least. This is our God when we look at the face of the poor. This is our God when we look at the face of the immigrant and the orphan, the prisoner. And here's the amazing thing that Jesus is saying in this passage. Every little act of selflessness, every little act of compassion, of mercy, is as if we were doing it for Jesus himself. Friends, this is the fruit that will last into God's glorious future. Fruit that will last beyond the, ba- the bounds of our lifetime is that we would be people who reflect God's heart. People who reach across the lines that maybe are designed for us and be people who identify our lives with the same people that Jesus identified his life with. When we identify and when we have God's heart for the poor and the marginalized, we become people who produce fruit. We abide in Jesus it's as if we were doing it for God himself. Man, that is, there's a, there's a moment there where you just almost have to stop and say, wow. 
So this is the second thing, that, that our little acts of compassion somehow, some way, are building blocks for the future, building blocks for eternity. The third thing, and this is where I want to begin, just to hopefully expand your horizons a little bit, is we want to be people, as we, were, as we abide in Jesus, who pursue beauty and create beauty. In John 12, verses 1 through 7, I'm just going to summarize it. Mary comes and she anoints Jesus. She pours this costly bottle of perfume on the feet of Jesus. And Judas pipes up and Judas says, well, what a waste. This perfume could have been sold and and the money given to the poor. You see, Judas Judas is a pragmatist. He's a utilitarian. He can't see the beauty of what she's done. In in this uh, passage in Matthew 26, the same story Matthew describes Jesus saying, what she has done for me is is an incredibly beautiful thing. And wherever the gospel is preached from here uh, until Jesus comes back, wherever the gospel is preached, this act will be remembered throughout history. And so this is where I want to begin to expand your scope of what the gospel really is, is drawing us towards. It's drawing us towards a bigger understanding of our world, a bigger understanding of the kind of fruit that God invites us to create. See, God is not in a hurry. God is not in a rush. He creates trees that are just pleasing to look at. He, he's trying to show us that our life is a gift. It is a gift to be enjoyed. It is a gift to be grateful for. And so Jesus says that, that you will be people who reflect God's beautiful uh, intentions for this world when you create and you pursue and you're grateful for the beauty. We recognize life as a mystery and as a gift. And so friends, if later today you're listening to a song and it just moves you, I give God glory. If, if later today you're having a great meal or you're sharing a meal with friends and you're just grateful to be sitting across the table from those people, Like, you could do worse than to just say, God, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing in my life. And I think this is what Jesus is inviting us to see, is that these little moments of beauty, these little moments of of incredible gratefulness and mystery and wonder are exactly the kind of place that God is inviting us into. So let us be people who pursue the kind of fruit that will endure, the kind of beauty that God is inviting us towards. The fourth thing. I think the fruit that will last is in our vocational life. Paul says in Colossians 3, he says, And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, he goes on in verse 23, work at it with all your heart, as if working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And again, Jesus is identifying himself. He's saying, when you work in this way, you are serving not the people that are your immediate superiors, not your bosses, you're serving me. Vocation for you, and you may be saying to yourself, I I don't have a vocation. I'm a student, or I'm retired, or I wish I had a job. Whatever you're saying to yourself, vocation for you, and for our understanding this morning, is the thing that occupies your time. And for most of us, it's a good majority of our time, right? And Paul's instructions to the Colossians here are given to slaves. So not exactly people who got to pick what they did every day, right? And so friends, I think this is a great word for us. If you are feeling like you are underemployed, you wish you had a different job, 
You, you, you wish uh, that your uh, life had worked out differently and that the, the job that you spend your time doing every day just feels like such a drain on you? Can I, can I just say that God is meeting you there? That God has designed us for work? That he's designed us to be people who glorify him with our jobs? And that's not saying you can't go try to find another one. That's okay. But if you're in this moment, you're feeling like, oh man, I hate getting up every Monday and going to this job. Can you just begin to see that for whatever time you are spending there, you, are, uh, you have an opportunity to serve Jesus, to be present with him? And sure, you can get on whatever the equivalent of monster.com is. You see how often I've applied for a job in my life. LinkedIn, that's the one. You can get on LinkedIn and uh, keep looking for other jobs. But also understand that God has put you there to glorify him. And you can do that in that space. Your vocation is not some ambiguous space. It is a space that is calling you to meet with Jesus. And Paul's just saying, whatever you do, do it with all your heart. Because when you do that, you do it in praise to God and you serve him. The last one, fruit that will last. And again, these aren't all of them, but there's some of them. Relationships, Jesus says in John 13, verse 35, he says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We are commissioned to love one another. For Jesus, this is one of the unfailing signs that the kingdom of God has come. For those of you who are, who are single in our midst, you are called to cultivate covenant communities, to encourage one another, to walk the road of apprenticeship to Jesus together, to show up. For those of us who are married, we're called to invite those single people into our lives, to, to, to form a new reflection of God's family, his ideals for what he is inviting us into. And for those of us who are married, we're also called to serve our spouses as if we are serving Jesus himself. For those of us with kids, we're called to steward and to shepherd them in the way of Jesus, to love them and to be a reflection of the way our heavenly father loves us. The fruit that will last is us imparting ourselves, imparting our lives into those that are surrounding us. And Jesus says that your relationships, you spending time cultivating unhurried relationships is a reflection of the beauty of our God. This is who Jesus has called us to be. And really, Jesus just gives us three responsibilities, three things that we have to do. He says, first, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. The second thing that he says, and I think this is incredible, he says, ask for whatever you wish. Jesus tells his disciples in John 15, verse 7, he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Like, that's crazy. That's a lot of power, right? Jesus says, hey, ask for whatever you want. Right? Like, have you seen the movie Aladdin? Like, if you had this, like, cosmic genie in a bottle, what would you ask for? But Jesus starts this whole passage in John 15. He says, abide in me. And as we abide in Jesus, our hearts start to be shaped by his heart. And his heart is cross-shaped. His heart is other-shaped. His heart is giving of his life for the sake of the world-shaped. And so when Jesus invites us to ask for whatever we wish... He's inviting us to be formed by his love for the world. And so ask for whatever you wish. What would you ask for? And that, so, so on the back of that card, friends, would you just write a prayer? Like, what do you want to see God do? 
Jesus is inviting us to envision, to imagine, to, to, to have a vision for our community, to see our city with the eyes of his unfailing love for the world. Like, what would you want to see God do in our midst? Like, how big are you willing to, to make your ask? Because Jesus says, ask me for whatever you want. Like, what would it mean if every kid who's waiting for a foster care appointment in this county was taken care of because Christians started asking and started saying, God, will you do this? Yeah, we can't do it alone. But Jesus didn't say, hey, you fix this. Jesus said, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. What would it mean if everybody who was insecure as it comes to their, their pantries and their food was taken care of because churches and Christians began to say, do it, Lord. What would it mean for there to be a revival and a renewal of God's presence because people that were focused and loving Jesus said, God, would you do it in our day? I, 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 friends, I, I invite you, because Jesus does, to, to ask for whatever you want. And for some of you, you're looking at that person in your life, that family member who it just seems like they could never, never take a turn, would never respond to Jesus' gracious invitation. That's a big ask. So would you write that on the back of the card? What do you want to see God do? Because as a church, as the pastor of this church, and one of the reasons that Courtney and I, like when we sat around our dinner table nearly 20, 21 months ago and just said, yeah, we're going to do this, is because we wanted to lead a church that prayed big prayers. We wanted to look our kids in the face when they were sitting around the dinner table, you know, and they're saying like, we, we, I feel like God wants me to do this. And we wanted to be able to look them in the eyes and say, yeah, do it. Because God is faithful he will meet you. He will do above and beyond what you could ask or imagine. And so church, what are we asking Jesus for? Because as your pastor, I want to lead a church that is saying, God, we can't do it on our own. We need you. And the last thing that Jesus says, our other responsibility is simply to go. To be people who are willing to go. And Jesus doesn't really ever command us to do anything we didn't, or he didn't do himself. Jesus came for us. He didn't just show up in heaven one day and say, hey, there's a God, you should love him. He came and showed us what that God is like. And as he gathered with his disciples in this moment, John 15, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. And then on the cross, he showed us what a broken body looks like, what it means for the world. And then he took a cup and he blessed it. And he said, this is the blood of my new covenant poured out for the life of the world. And then Jesus says in John 15, he says, as I have loved you, so love one another. And that one another extends to those people in here, those people who are Christians, yes and amen, but it also extends to the life of the world. As a church, as a community, we are called to be broken on behalf of the world. We are called to pour out our lives on behalf of our neighborhoods, of our cities, of the world that God so loved that he gave his only son for. And so friends, would we be people who are broken on behalf of this community? Would we be people who are poured out? Would we be people who go? Jesus' call to us is very simple. He says, abide, remain in me. He says, ask for whatever you want, and then go. And he came for us. And so as we 
do every week. We're going to invite you to the table. It's Jesus' invitation. We just get to extend it to you. And so we're so grateful for what God has done. We're so grateful as we rehearse what Jesus has done for us, that it not only sustains us, it is not only grace enough for us, it is grace enough for the world. And so I'm going to invite our servers to come up. often as we eat, as often as we drink, we rehearse God's love for us and we invite Jesus' presence into our midst. And so friends, let us pray big prayers. Let us go. But yes, let us be people who remain in his love for us. Let us pray. Beautiful Jesus, you are, your heart for the world is, um, is beyond what we would come up with ourselves. God, it's beyond all that we could envision. And so, Lord, would you help us to be people who, who respond to your extravagance. God, to your abundance, God, who don't live with scarcity, who don't live with fear, God, but let your perfect love drive out all fear. God, you have called us your own, your daughters and your sons, not just so that we could be yours, but also so that the world would know themselves as yours. So God, help us to be a people broken, to be a people poured out on behalf of the life of the world. Jesus, would we see the world with your eyes as we abide in you? Would we ask for the things that you ask for and would we go to the places that you go? We love you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, please visit www.ecclesianj.com.